It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you remotely from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Kay Wenigal and I'm joined today by my co-host Natalie Bucknell. Hi Kay, hi listeners. Good to have you back, Nat. Thank you, great to be back. Last week we had exciting news about the inexorable rise of renewable energy around the world. This week we have more exciting news about the inexorable rise of electric vehicle infrastructure around the world. To help us digest this, we have our resident EV expert, Bryce Gayton, from AEVA, the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. Hi, Bryce. Hi, Kay. Hi, Natalie. Thanks for asking. Always, always a pleasure to talk about EVs. (laughs) And you're very good at it. (laughs) Thank you. Bryce, in spite of the pandemic sweeping the world, so much has been happening in the EV space. Firstly, I'd like to talk about how Shell is reinventing itself, ditching oil and petrol for electric power. It announced this week that it wants the UK government to ban petrol and diesel vehicles by 2030, not 2035, and already the government had just changed its planned ban from 2040 to 2035. What's going on? Uh, It's just following on from what's been happening in England for quite some time now. Early last year, the number of uh, charging points for EVs outnumbered the charge the number of petrol stations, uh, petrol outlets in England, and wow. they've been happily um, putting in charges all over the place there. So it's it's a much better situation there than here. And they even have 40 kilowatt AC three-phase charging for some EVs as well. So the Renault Zoe over there also does for up to 40 kilowatt charging. We don't get that version here. So we don't have any 40 kilowatt AC charges. So there was actually an equivalent to the DC fast charging as an AC 40 kilowatt as well. And they've got a number of those up and down their motorways. Shell has seen large falls of revenue over the last decade or so. And it just recently has had a 22 billion write down due to the global coronavirus lockdowns. Would that have anything to do with it? I think they see the writing on the wall, to be perfectly frank. They know that the rise of the, the March of the EV is inexorable now and can't be stopped. And so they need to change their marketing model or they're going to go the way of the dinosaur. So in America, they've been ripping out petrol bowsers and stations and replacing them with EV charging. And I think this is just another mark in that road to all EV charging and no fuel stations. Why would they be urging the UK government to accelerate the change? They've got a foot in each camp at the moment. Isn't it just as good for them to go either way? It's Even the supply authority in England has been urging them to go early. So I think a year ago, the national grid in England were actually saying, bring it on. We want not 2040, we want 2030. We'll be fine to supply all EVs in England by 2030. So 
don't wait till 2040, do it now. So I think Shell are just seeing, literally seeing the writing on the wall and trying to get their toe early in the marketplace and say, we support EVs. So they're a new refueling model rather than a petrol refueling model. So just, just getting them their brand known for EVs would be my guess. It's good marketing. Shell does have 50 charging points in England, including at petrol stations, but this will be the first full petrol station conversion. Do you know what that consists of? Uh, There's no real consistency yet as to what that's going to look like because obviously they take a little bit longer to charge and people will not be charging as often because they can do a lot of their stuff at home or at shopping or workplaces, but so they'd be more motorway type things. I often say if the stats prove right that are showing off now, somewhere around 90% of charging is done at home, then 90% of petrol stations should be getting very nervous because people won't be wanting to use the 90% of the refueling options that they currently use. So all your local petrol stations will simply evaporate because there's, there's no need for them anymore. So Shell would probably start moving to the roadhouse type situation. So at the edge of cities, intercity routes, motorway routes in England, those types of things would be where you would have the stations. And they'll probably a little bit bigger because they'll cars might sit there for at the moment, maybe 20 minutes um, in future times when the 350 kilowatt charging rolls out and cars can do 350 kilowatt charging, then it'll be five to 10 minute charging. So people take a little longer, but overall, the number of stops that they do a year will be 90% less. So if they spend a couple of minutes longer than normal at a petrol station, but 90% of the time never go to a petrol station, they're still way ahead. So they'll be slightly bigger. There'll be some sort of forecourt arrangement where you can park your car go get your coffee. So there'll be a bigger little shopping area like the roadhouses are starting into now, the little mini shopping centres. So the model will change. There's been a number of examples and showroom type ones around the world, people experimenting with it and doing some pop-up sort of demonstrations. But it's one of those things in flux at the moment, what the, the new roadhouse, the new petrol station is going to look like, especially when there's going to be 90% less of them, uh, is still to be seen. All of Shell's charge points are supplied by 100% renewable energy, which allows drivers to drive carbon neutral. Using fossil fuels to generate electricity has often been used as an argument against EV charging, hasn't it? Ah, yes, our friend Craig Kelly from the Liberal government was saying some time ago, actually in the last election, that unless you lived in Tasmania, there was no point driving an EV because you put out more emissions. That's been debunked so many times, it's not funny. If you use the government's own carbon accounting methodology and the tables produced by the government and, and using the international protocols for calculating it, you are in almost all situations, because electric vehicles are so much more efficient, um, in almost all situations in Australia, you are better off already using an EV if you're just running it off the grid. There's only one scenario in the whole of Australia that you're 5.6 worse off in your carbon emissions, and that's in Victoria, if you were to swap, instead of buy a brand new petrol car to buy a brand new electric car, you'll be about 5.6% worse off in your emissions just running on the grid. That assumes you've got no solar panels, you don't subscribe to green power, and that you are choosing a new EV over a new petrol car. If you're using your new EV to replace an older petrol car, you'd probably be roughly line ball. And if you're just driving around town, so the city cycle, it's already um, about 10% better. That's in Victoria. And up to something like 90-something percent better if you drive around Tasmania because that's hydropower. And with, I presume, Bryce, with the composition of the grid electricity changing so rapidly, that's going to be out of date very quickly too. Yes, I first did that calculation in 2012 and 
it's been steadily improving. I did the next set of calculations in 2017. I've done some preliminary stuff and, and some graphing for 2019, and that has again steadily improved. I think one or two states have stood still, but Tasmania's oh that's right, Tasmania stood still, but that's because it was about 95% better anyway. So it's quarter yeah. of a ton. If you're running at 10,000 kilometers a year, you put out roughly two tons of carbon dioxide for a Corolla. I think it was 250 kilograms or less for a EV run in, so BMW i3 or something like that, running in Tasmania. It is slowly getting better and as way better than it was even in 2012, Victoria in particular, and South Australia were the two notable So changes. that argument is pretty much out of date now. Uh, yeah, pretty Bryce, much. Bryce, just looking at our next question, Shell spent $30 billion a year in capital investments last year, and much of that was still in fossil fuel-related projects but it has been investing in wind and solar and it's exploring alternative fuels such as biofuels and hydrogen. So it obviously knows this is the future. Mm. So what are other petrol companies doing? BP at one stage were trying to rebrand themselves as Beyond Petroleum and were doing building solar panels and they were doing them here in Australia. That closed down and they went back more to fossil fuels again. But I, I, I have to some degree been all that interested in what the fossil fuel companies are doing because they all seem to be so link it in terms of where they were going that was just oh, well people will just put in new networks like charge fox ev although ev are actually starting to partner with shell here but generally speaking it'll be a new system going in rather than the old players converting to the new it's, maybe that will be changed it was shell are actually waking up to that maybe they will make the move across in 2018 bp actually entered an agreement to buy charge master which is the operator of the UK's largest EV charging network and also the leading supplier of EV charging infrastructure. So they've even beaten Shell to the punch, I think. Mm. It's, it's again, it's just either you see the writing on the wall and start making the move, but it's such legacy investments and legacy uh, infrastructure that they're going to find it hard. It's all the car manufacturers are finding it the same thing. They have so much money invested in building fossil fuel motors and gearboxes and drivetrains that run on fossil fuels. So your fuel tanks, your fuel lines, your exhaust systems. There's an awful lot of money that's going to be sunk costs that they just have to throw away if they rush to doing EV. So that's part of the reason why they're dragging their heels. They want to extract as much money as they can out of all their metal stamping expertise in building fossil fuel cars, let alone Sadly, about a third of the workforce will go when EVs become the major type of car built because it's, you don't need that many people to build or to build the old fossil fuel motors and the gearboxes and all that. So there's, there's certainly an issue of a lot of payouts in terms of redundancies too. Well, I, I think Beyond Zero Emissions has got that covered with their million jobs plan in renewables. Plenty of new jobs that people can retrain for. Yep, they're looking at it with a very blinkered view of we have this huge redundancy payout type situation. They don't sort of think of we could retrain them. There's a whole lot of other jobs there. It's actually quite difficult. People are entrenched in the industry find it very hard, I think, to change their thinking. You mentioned it before that Caltech slash Ampol and EV networks have joined in partnership and the first of the six EV networks, ultra-fast EV charging stations in Victoria and New South Wales is up and running? Yes, you know, certainly ChargeFox has got the march on EV so far, but EV is starting to, to build up steam and rolling them out. Tasmania is well ahead now of even Victoria. They've, If people are members of the Australian Electric Vehicle Association, they'll soon get a 
newsletter coming out, the national newsletter, talking about the rollout of the charging network in Tasmania, where there's a really good network rolling out through there. So it's it's amazing the numbers that are popping up in all sorts of places. I understand that they've got 17 locations, with including four ultra-rapid sites, that are going to be active by the end of the year. This is EV or Tasmania? In Tasmania. Mm. Yep, it's it's fascinating what's been happening there. I've actually, funnily enough, I've edited the article, but because I'm the editor of EV News, I've it's about sixty four pages of material, and I've, my brain's gone blank on some of the details today. My apologies on what's happening at the Tassie Network. I did all the editing and checking over the article, and now I've completely gone blank on the detail. It's a bit embarrassing, but my apologies. Well, then. I've read it, Bryce, and I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite funny. For those people listening, I've it's actually not out yet. I sent Kay a draft to read about that article, and um, she remembers more about it than the person who's edited the article and put it in the magazine. <laughs> well, one of the things that I was really impressed with, especially having a first-generation electric vehicle, was that virtually there are no gaps larger than 150 kilometres between these charging stations. Yes, okay. yes, that's about Amazing. where you want the sort of number. 100, 150 k's is a nice number. You don't have to rely on every station being open if you're doing a long trip. It's just, oh, I don't feel like stopping there because it's the wrong time to take morning tea or lunch. I'll just go to the next one and 150 k's, yeah. an hour and a quarter, hour and a half. That's how you can decide on your tea or coffee or morning tea lunch breaks. But it works, it's a very nice number, 100, 150 k's. Which in Victoria, we've got nowhere near that yet. We have pretty much the route to South Australia has the only couple of stops you can make on a longer range car. Um, getting out of Victoria to the north is a bit easier, but still not brilliant. And there's pretty much nothing anywhere else. There's nothing around the Great Ocean Road. There's nothing through the east up through Gippsland. It's quite frustrating. To and some is degree, there any prospect of that changing soon, Bryce? Uh, there's some talk about a network going through the central goldfield region and some of the councils are beginning to collaborate there. Interestingly, there's a $500 million national fund for infrastructure that the councils can now tap into. It's been recently announced um, and we're going to start trying to push the councils to say, don't forget about EV charging. That, that fit in beautifully with future planning and EV and infrastructure going in and it's easy spade ready type stuff because it's only a matter of putting in, if the power of capacity is there, just putting a cable underground and a box on the curb. Sounds perfect. And if you mm. have it near a coffee shop, then everybody's happy. Yes. So the local businesses would love it. So as far as getting some money for infrastructure, putting it in your CBD area of the local towns. So the businesses would love it because people are pulling up and they might, if it's a 50 kilowatt AC charger, they might want to stop for half an hour. They may have very well Whilst they're there, oh, half an hour will stay a bit longer at lunch, whatever. So it'll be really good for tourists, really good for travel. And the big fast charges up the main highways, they're put in by the EVs and the Judge Foxes of the world anyway. But it's that little in-between type stuff where a 50 kilowatt charge will be really handy in a local area to get local businesses kicked off. The NRMA have done the, that sort of thing through New South Wales and it's brilliant. I have done a number of trips into New South Wales and had to detour because of the bushfires last year at one stage. And it was just a matter of quickly look up the number of charges in Plugshare and then went, oh, I can go inland. So I went to Tamworth, Dubbo, back to Melbourne. And it was a completely unplanned spur of the moment detour because of the fire smoke that I could see coming. I'd just come up from Sydney a few days earlier and trying to head back 
and hearing about the fires and the highway, main highway getting cut, it was just, I'd better go inland. So I just went west to Dubbo and then down, and it was charges all the way courtesy of the NRMA because it wasn't yet a commercial prospect of getting them in, but the NRMA saw the need and put them in. And it's, it works really well. If only they would think of that for Victoria. Yeah, a bit of forward what, planning. What is the holder? It's a good question. Victoria is quite progressive in terms of its transport policies, but EVs just seem to have fallen off their agenda. Must be busy fighting the coronavirus. It, it fell off the agenda before coronavirus, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> we've been trying to remind them occasionally that EVs are getting larger and larger in number, even if we're still only barely 0.6% of new car sales in Australia. If you look overseas, that's getting a much bigger percentage and increasing at that sort of starting to be an exponential rate. The fun part is that if you watch the sales stats, ICE cars, internal combustion engine cars, has been falling in sales since 2017, and that's continuing to drop faster during the coronavirus lockdowns, but EV sales are still picking up. And interest and in on-the-web searches are phenomenal numbers. And the number of calls we're getting now to AEVA about people who are just about to buy or have just bought an EV and wanting to get some information on how to charge, what leads they need. I'm receiving quite a lot more calls about those sort of people than I used to in the past. Before it was general interest. Now it's direct. I'm wanting to buy one. Which one of these would would you recommend? And I go, I don't actually recommend anything. I ask a few questions and say, well, these are the ones to look at giving you a criteria. Go to the AVA website, look up the fact sheets, whether a two-page standard format sheets about all the new EVs on the market and you can compare them there. Now you've worked out what you're looking or the for criteria that you might want to look for. So yeah, that's at aeva.asn.au. There's a, at the top there, you'll find fact sheets and you can get two-page rundowns of every full battery electric car vehicle on the market in Australia, plus a sheet listing all the prices and general features of all the battery electric and plug-in hybrids too. That's wonderful to hear. Listeners, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Bryce Gatton from the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. So speaking of what's available in Australia, the electric mini's due to go on sale this year. Mm. So finally, it already has 2,000 orders. How long has that been in the pipeline and what's it going to offer? It's been in the pipeline for some years now. They've been showing it off since about 2017, I think, and it's been slowly coming. Again, as I said earlier, the Petrol car manufacturers are dragging their heels and Tesla's been basically holding a blowtorch to hurry them up a little bit. But they don't really want to bring them in too fast because they have all this money invested in petrol cars. But anyway, we've been there. Uh, but the Mini is, a, by sound of it, a very nice car. It's got a small-ish battery, 32 kilowatt hours. So it gives it a bit over 200k real-world range, about 233, I think. And it's got a 135 kilowatt motor. So... By all reports, it's quite a zippy little motor. It's a bit like a skateboard on wheels. Skateboards all do have wheels, I suppose. Uh, but it drives a bit like a skateboard because it's got a very low uh, centre of gravity with the battery all down low. So it's supposed to have that very agile handling that minis are renowned for. So they sound like a fun little car. They're not something, again, they're a city car or like minis always used to be. They're not a car that you would be travelling Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane regularly in. They certainly be capable of. They have DC fast charge. But you will be stopping a few more times. I have to say, I think I drove one of the first electric minis and it was in the 1980s, I think it was, or late 1970s, and uh, my brother-in-law was able to get one of these with um, just the old batteries all through the back of it and in the passenger seat. Only one person could fit in. (laughs) They were a big lead acid (laughs) um, thing, very heavy car. (laughs) Probably wasn't quite as zippy as the modern one. 
No, no, I don't think so. But it proved the concept. Mm. Now, another manufacturer, Nissan, is starting production of the Araya this year, mm. and that will hopefully come to Australia next year. What about the battery options that are available for the Araya? They're predicted to actually provide a similar range to the best Tesla models. Yeah, well, they're doing is it seven, 90 kilowatt hour batteries, I think. I think it was 67 usable and 84 kilowatt hours usable. And they will give you, because the Teslas have in the long range model 3 or 75 or the long range model X 100 kilowatt hour batteries. So they'll be very similar ranges to the Teslas and obviously slightly later generation. So they'll be very efficient, if not more efficient than some of the Teslas. Well, the Tesla obviously are still one of the most efficient EVs around. The other thing is, by the way, that when quoting ranges, in Australia, we still use the old European system of quoting ranges due to our still having very old emissions and fuel economy standards. As a result, we still use the older European standard, which is NEDC, the, the initials of, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's they're all usually about 30% too high. So they're quoting something like 610 kilometres for the Nissan, but that is under the NEDC system. If it's WLTP, uh, which is a new standard, they're about right to about 10% too high. So if you're I looking at WLTP, were, you'd be... They were quoting WLTP, I thought. I think that was... Any, if they're quoting it against the 600 and something for Tesla, then it's NEDC. If they're, they're about 500-ish range under the WLTP range, I've looked them up. The Araya The Araya is, which is still a very high number. It's certainly up there. The Teslas are also only... WLTP are only in the 500-ish range as well. Because they had a number of different battery options, didn't they? Mm. Yes. So does this so, mean that Nissan is sort of dealing with some of their battery longevity issues as well? Ah, yes, that's a very good question because they're actually putting in an active liquid cooled system in liquid cooling system in the Araya battery. Unlike the, the Nissan Leaf, which they have adamantly said doesn't need cooling in it, and then they've had several issues over the years with the early ones, partly to do with the chemistry as well as the non-cooling. And they still say that doesn't need it, but they've quietly put in cooling in the latest one. So that might be a, a quiet admission. They kept going with the passive cooling rather than everybody else using an active, often a liquid cooling system. The other interesting thing that they've been a bit quiet about announcing, but the Araya also has a CCS charging, DC charging plug, not the, well, in Japan, they'll have the old Chatamo uh, system, which is a big round separate socket because the Japanese system, TEPCO, Tokyo Electric Company, Electrical Car Company, well, one of the uh, Nissan are the major sort of shareholders, controllers of Chatamo, and they use that as an emergency system should an earthquake or tsunami or whatever. They can feed power back into the grid, and that's what Chatamo was initially designed for, which is why it's got that functionality. But rest of the world, they'll be putting in for Europe and North America, and I'm presuming therefore here, they'll be putting in the CCS charges at a single socket plug so effectively the plug war the charging plug war that's been going on for years about which dc charging plug will, will become predominant a bit like except in japan except in japan well japan they'll still have the old type one ac plug because they only have a 110 volt system so japan and america will be type one for the ac plugs and america it'll be type one ccs and europe australia everywhere else will be type two ccs so it's just a different shape AC socket, but the DC pins are the same. So it's pretty much a CCS com combined charging system. If that's what's going to happen with the Araya, which is pretty safe bet it is, pretty much Nissan, who are the big proponents of the Chatamo, have jumped ship. So it's set the end date effectively of Chatamo. 
Mm, game over. Mm. So the plug war was won for the AC plug side some time ago with Type 1 versus 2. Type 1 now only 110-volt systems of Japan and America, the rest of, or in North America, and the rest of the world is Type 2. And so CCS2, which is a Type 2 plug, and two big pins at the bottom, which is a DC charging plug, which is just a bigger version, and all plugs into the same hole, and that's one for the rest of the world. Well, that'll be much easier for people, prospective EV buyers, to get their heads around. Yes, yes, it will make life a lot easier. The only minor issue is that Nissan are now starting to test and perhaps later market their vehicle-to-home battery systems for the car so you can plug in the car and there's a backup to the house later this year. So doing 50 trial ones this year in the ACT, presumably because they'll start offering them for sale late this year, early next year, as also Charge Fox will be offering vehicle-to-home systems later this year. The minor detail is that they're all Chatamo and they technically will become a legacy plug and not to do some future. So what happens for people that jump early to a vehicle to home and have a car, car plug that isn't compatible with all the cars getting built thereafter? And I think we covered that in our last conversation with mm. you. So listeners can go back to that podcast. True. So huge thing you were talking earlier about how much further in front Europe and England is in terms of EVs apparently you can get a Renault Zoe virtually for free in Germany here it sells for 50k but in Europe the incentives that are given to people to buy EVs are huge yeah, I think and people were making the analogy of it will cost you as much to run a, an own run a Zoe in Germany as it would to run a mobile phone isn't that incredible <laughs> It's just amazing. And so that's what we've got to look forward to. Yes. <laughs> oh, don't hold your breath, Kay. So we have run out of time, Bryce. There is one thing, though, that you mentioned about an ABC series that's coming up. Oh, yes. There's a new three-part documentary series from Craig Rucastle. They're calling it Planet A, the Climate Emergency. And it's starting on August 11th on Tuesday. And it'll be focusing on three themes. So there'll be three episodes, and one of which I think the last one will be on transport. And they'll be looking at how electric vehicles fit into that saving Planet A and reducing your carbon footprint. There's a new website gone up on the ABC, or a new webpage rather. It looks a really interesting documentary. So people look out for that. I think it's Fight for Planet A, our climate challenge, starting Tuesdays in August. So check the website. And apart from that, listeners can go to the AEVA website to find out more information about EVs. True, yeah, AEVA.asn.au. Great. Okay. Thank you so much for your time today, Bryce. Up. Oh, thank you, Kay, and thank you, Nat. We've been speaking to Bryce Gayton from AEVA, the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast. 
produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.